Here we go again. This is... This is Swampside Chats. The podcast where every week, except in the summer for some reason, communists sit down to shoot the shit about current events, history, political economy, and theory. This week, we're having our collective consciousness uploaded to a Bonapartist cloud, where we'll be eternally on the forced march, through James Steinhoff's 2014 essay, Transhumanism and Marxism. I know, I know. Craftwork twice in five episodes. Craftwork twice in five episodes. Not one step back. So maybe I should start with a little disclaimer. Um, if you came here looking for people who were deeply immersed in the transhumanist tradition or who have like super developed opinions on this, come to the wrong place. But if you want to watch some Marxists kind of gawk at this thing through the lens of a particular piece that we read, pull up a chair and stick around for a minute. Yeah, today, this is another uh, Not One Step Back Comrades reading series. This is something somebody sent us. It's from the Journal of Evolution and Technology, which is a peer-reviewed electronic journal published by the Institute for Ethics and Emerging Technologies. Um, the title of it is called uh, Transhumanism and Marxism, Philosophical Connections, by a guy named James Steinhoff, based out of Canada. I looked a little bit about like this organization they have a website uh, in english french and german for some reason and basically what they advocate for is what they call a form of like techno progressivism which is like liberal democracy plus like biological human enhancements that are done in a way that's equitable for everyone somehow um but maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves uh this just convinced me transhumanists are people who think we're on the verge of skynet from terminator who want to make the wally dystopia real so <laughs> anyone who has ventured intellectually outside of just like listening to npr and like reading the new york times and shit like that has encountered transhumanism at some point it's something i don't think we've ever really discussed because i don't think we take it that seriously let me put it this way like Something we haven't really ventured into because it's kind of a loony tradition, but the basic idea that humans will extend themselves through technology is kind of just common sense. The reason that I think a lot of transhumanist stuff gets loony is when it gets into like specific predictions, like the Ray Kurzweil shit, which is probably like maybe the most like widely known version of it. I have to say though, like I did kind of buy in somewhat to like the Ray Kurzweil stuff. Like when he published like The Singularity is Near in around, I think, 2005. When I was much younger and more naive, I kind of bought into it a little bit, or at least I considered it to be much more of a live possibility than the things he's saying probably actually were. For those who don't know, like Ray Kurzweil, his big thing that he's been pushing in the last 10, 15 years is this idea of like this technological singularity, right? This idea that artificial intelligence will hit like a phase transition, like an event horizon in a black hole where things will shift exponentially to this point of no return where. AI will begin developing its own intelligence at an exponential rate that will far outstrip anything humanity can do. And then this new intelligence will remake the world however it wants. And for some reason, he believes it will be beneficent in the way that it does things. Great Kurzweil really traffics in a lot of these predictions that are very specific and have often been proven wrong <laughs> by subsequent events. Later, I remember finding an older book of his from the early 90s, and the, I noticed that the dates in there were not kind of lining up to the way things were actually going. So, does anybody have any kind of, like, personal relation to this concept that they wanted to talk about? Oh, I think I probably have the, like, most favorable view towards transhumanism than anyone here, it sounds like. But, like all of you, I haven't engaged in anything called, quote, transhumanist theory, quote. I think I just appreciate transhumanism from a standpoint of someone that tries to incorporate Darwinian approaches to sociology and to historical materialism. And, you know, you find some things that are kind of lacking about humanity 
as we are. If you're a, a crazy ass egalitarian and you want to see something better than natural equality exist, it occurs to you that hmm, maybe this like you know Marxian kind of like self transformation, species being kind of theory of human nature could help us overcome something. For instance, like the sexual division and the sexual division of labor, and even just sexual dimorphism itself. But I mean, like, isn't that already just kind of implicit in like speculative science fiction or even just in like the project of like Western medicine generally? See, that's the problem I have with transhumanism because like so much of what they they kind of claim as these things, like the only thing you can really, I think, isolate as transhumanist is like the loony shit. As like right, people are going right. around saying like, oh, we can, we can, we can transcend death and just up, you know, upload our consciousness to machine. You know what I mean? Like. Like, there's a lot of loony shit associated with it, but I think it, this is how I feel about stuff like evolutionary, like, psychology and shit, too. And even, like, accelerationism. Like, a lot of the actual literature under the name is, is really just preposterous and kind of, like, stuff that I'm not really going to take seriously. But the set of concepts that are going on, this is just some kind of weird, spectacular expression of it. There really is some concepts underneath that are, like, worth exploring. Yeah, you know, my experience of transhumanism is mostly through Nick Land, to be honest, and that, that might offend, like, Nick Land stands, but a lot of the concepts sort of intersect if you read Nick Land's earlier work more literally. Like, I know it's theory fiction, and, like, lots of it is just, like, Nick Land doing a shitload of drugs with his buddy pals at the CCRU. And just coming up with crazy word salad poetry. But, like, you know, if you read it on face value, most of the stuff that's written intersects pretty well with transhumanism concept of, like, humanity being annihilated by, like, this runaway AI. I mean, later on, Nick Land develops a concept of, like, capitalism itself is an AI, which... I do not know how literally he means that. At this point, I think he just means it quite literally that he believes it's an AI. Rather than it just being a literary metaphor. Well, he believes in a Hayek theory where a market is like an information processor. If you take, like, cybernetic theory seriously, like, their ontology shit, like, that's not too hard of a claim. Like, there's already sort of tools lying around that can make Nick Land do that. But that's interesting that you connect him to transhumanism because... Transhumanism is, like, way more optimistic, though. Well, transhumanism is, is a kind of humanism. Whereas, like, Nick Land actually is, you know, anti-humanist in a strong way. He wants to see the annihilation of the human essence, not the transformation to a higher dialectical form, you might mm. say. Like, he, he wants the things that are essentially human, he doesn't want them to find higher expression. He wants them to be dismembered by AI. <laughs> To be a transhumanist, especially now, you either have to be like, yeah, just nihilistic like that, or there has to be a kind of like weird Pollyanna-ish quality about how you view the way that right. this technology will probably be implemented. Yes. Like looking over this like Institute for Ethics and Emerging Technologies website, they do express concerns that human development, like technology or whatever, would be disproportionately distributed and that would feed into already existing inequalities and stuff like that but they seem to almost think that the solution to that is like we just need to have the conversation and make sure that people do the right thing you know that we shift the culture so that people think about these things and make decisions and do the right thing that way but that's not how society works yeah well they, they explicitly argue for a proactionary principle instead of a precautionary principle and i think even if you're super interested in like transhumanist stuff to make a principle out of that might be a mistake and as someone that's you know doing science experiments with my endocrine system that might sound like you know maybe hypocritical but um one of the things that the communizers used to point to when i would grill them about being crypto primos is they would point to the way the amish have a sort of process of rational deliberation thinking about the emergent effects of a technology before being implemented and I mean, there's something goofy about that whole way of thinking, but in a way, it would be nice if we could look at the emergent effects of something, you know, before implementing it. 
The thing is, though, what makes transhumanism, like, interesting, even though it's, like, pure crank shit, is that so many rich and powerful people buy into it. Yeah. That's what makes it kind of actually scary. Well, because they know they'd be the ones to afford the shit. Yeah. You know? In any class society, even today, like, it's always cost money to look good. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if anyone watches, like, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. But, like, the guy who plays Mac is finally ripped now. He posted, like, yeah. this Instagram post about it where he's like, oh, yeah, it's real simple. Just hire the trainer for Magic Mike, uh, spend six months, get, like, the right supplements, get the studio to pay for it, run 10 miles a day, work out four hours a day. You know, and he just went down the list. He's like, see, it's a totally realistic lifestyle that anybody could do, you know. And that's always been the case throughout history that, like, so it's like, I don't understand why anybody would think now, all of a sudden, this stuff would be, like, distributed in an equitable way or wouldn't be used to, like, reinforce existing hierarchies yeah yeah there's a consistent blind spot throughout all bourgeois theory about class and it's a functional blind spot it has to be there or else this theory isn't going to be acceptable so yeah oh yeah definitely there's only like one technology that could possibly like do the the thing that a lot of like vulgar orthodox historical materialists wanted and he actually kind of goes into it it's what's known in star trek as the replicator that would be a case of, like, yeah, the forces of production basically accelerating to such a point where, in and of itself, it basically makes capitalism yeah, yeah. completely untenable. It, not gonna happen. Yeah, the thing about that is the material inputs of that. But yeah, this is like the sole case you could think of, that there would be a post-scarcity machine that uses extremely common inputs, which is, okay, sure, that's a good thought experiment. The only thing that concerns me about bringing in something like that into the world, like, as it exists now, it's like, that shit would get, like, immediately weaponized. <laughs> well, that's actually what I was thinking, is like, okay, could you imagine a scenario where replicators were invented, and instead, have you ever heard of the gray goo thing, where, yeah. you know, you tell an AI to create paper clips, and it destroys all of reality and turns it into paper clips? Well, it, it might be a process like that, where replicators come out, and they're cheap, and they kind of end scarcity for demand for things, but then like, all the fungible, like, inputs that you could switch out. Like, so much of it would be depleted in all of reality. You know, I was just trying to, like, imagine, like, how this could go wrong and how you would still need, like, the specific kind of causation that the relations of production exerts on the forces. Because they have a special relationship with each other. The kind of causality they have on each other is qualitatively different. I think this is, like, a limit case that proves that. The forces of production are powerful, but they're not all powerful. Right. Especially in that way that people just imagined that technology would lead to social progress. There's a statement here on the possible necessity of technology to reach a science fiction point before we can abolish wage labor. Right. Transhumanists might say that the abolition of paid slavery is impossible without a superabundance provided by molecular assemblers, or that liberation from the bodily death trap is impossible without strong AI. So that really contains what I think are the two main points in this essay for Marx readers to critique. One is the statement on the necessity for technology to reach science fiction levels before we abolish wage labor. The other is about abolishing need and suffering altogether. Oh, yeah. Um, like, literally abolishing all suffering. That, to me, really outs transhumanism as this religious metaphysical escape from reality, because, right. I mean, any being will have desires that are sometimes frustrated. Uh -huh. Conflicts, pains, even in a society of abundance. Right. And I don't think I'd want it any other way. In Utopia, you still have to have, like, struggles, you know? You still have to have things to do. Almost from a kind of Freudian perspective, right? Are you going to never have your desires thwarted by other people or material circumstances just because society's better now? That's one of the things that makes you suspect that these people just have, like, a weird complex about death. Yeah. Right? You will never escape death. Existence is an embodied, continuous experience. Even in the hypothetical of mind uploading, if it's at all possible, you're making a copy out of different materials. The you that exists has a central nervous system extending through your organs. Your digestive tract is connected to your personality. But here's the thing, too. Like, even if you cure old age, right, all you've done is, like, increase your chances of getting impaled by something. Like, death is intrinsic to time itself. So to beat death, you'd have to transcend time, you know? It's the law of entropy. 
Look, if you are going to exist the way you exist now rather than be replaced by something else, you will always be a time-limited, eating, shitting, and even sometimes suffering human. Like, even if you became, like, in a computer somewhere, like, you're only in there until that computer shuts off, you know? Right, and it's not like you would want to even escape reality, right? Because if you put me in a computer and I know there's an external reality, the first thing I'm going to want to do is look at it, hear it. You would want sensory organs. (laughs) He would be right if the argument... What he was making is that, like, you know, immortality would be impossible without, like, cyborg shit or something near immortality. Because I think what Grant said about hard AI is, like, true, is that it's hard to imagine that continuing your experience, like, in a, in a meaningful way. But the other thing would be is that, like, it just sort of reflects, like, a misunderstanding of what suffering is. <laughs> it's something, like, embedded in the fabric of reality. But, you know, like, good show. If he makes a, a point really about wanting to eliminate the unnecessary forms of suffering and, you know, basically keep some of the ones that, like, are formative or overall beneficial or something. I think there is something in the structure of utopian thinking that it's why that the Bolsheviks and, like, the cosmists ended up thinking about immortality and that communism would raise the dead and things like that. There's an extreme utopian imaginary there. But in, like, the bad way. Yeah. Yeah, uh, extending people's lives wouldn't be that bad. You know, if you could hypothetically extend people's lives to thousands of years, yeah, that's great. That's it fine. Could be. Is it? It could be fine. It depends on what kind of world we create, yeah. you know? Would you want to live a thousand years? I don't know. Maybe. It depends. I, I do, actually. You know, to flip positions, I always find when people are like, oh, immortality, you'll get bored. I would have gotten bored by now already. I mean, you kind of wake up and your day restarts, right? You, you've been alive for thousands of days. Day to day, I I get bored of existing. <laughs> yeah, I think we're just jealous that we can't live for, like, 200 years like a Vulcan or a Klingon. Or like, or like a Trill. Well, look, I'm down to live 200 to 1,000 years, but if I were ever pretending to myself that I had escaped death, I mean, yeah, yeah just yeah. snap me back into reality. You gotta shoot for the moon, you'll land amongst the stars, you know? I want to pull back to, like, an initial point that this guy, he makes comparisons between, like, transhumanism and Marxism. He's like, yeah, well, well, we're both materialists, you know? We're both materialists, like, 61% of transhumanists claim to be atheists, secularists. <laughs> Marxism is generally atheistic, that sort of thing. And then he keeps on citing this guy named Nick Borstrom. Oh, yeah, Bostrom. Yeah, who's known for Bostrom. giving uh, Elon Musk nightmares about uh, robots. Robots and the universe not actually existing. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's because a it's a simulation. Oh, that's my favorite. Yeah, All and these people saw The Matrix. That's all this is. Like he's like teaching yeah. at Oxford or some shit. He's teaching at Oxford. He does TED Talks and he's like close to Bill Gates and Elon Musk and all those powerful people. It's like, man... Rich people are fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah, we're missing out on a big-time grift here. I mean, yeah, we're missing out on a big-time grift. Although, you know what? We already kind of knew that, because I remember like seeing like commercials for like Tony Robbins tapes, where he'd be like, with like Bill, like all the, you know, all these like powerful people, and they're like, they're listening to this jackass? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they think they need to take advice from this guy? You know, is it because he's tall? Like, what? So, yeah, of course they'd fall for like grifts like this, like. You know, there's rational kernels here and there. There's rational kernels. I mean, no, there are. I, I feel like one of the initial points that he makes is he goes to Marx's quote where, you know, Marx does this beautiful thing and argues that, yeah, you can't really abolish slavery unless you have the steam engine or whatever. Right. You have to have, like, certain technologies to allow for certain modes of production to develop, you know? Slavery cannot be abolished without the steam engine and the mule and spinning jenny. Serfdom cannot be abolished without improved agriculture. People cannot be liberated as long as they are unable to attain food and drink, housing and clothing in adequate quality and quantity. Right. That's the mark. Right. And Well, yeah, and I mean, that's one of the many reasons communism wasn't possible until capitalism built the conditions for it. Yeah, right. Going even further than that, I feel like it's only become really possible until relatively recently with the developments in AI specifically in terms of like developing for central planning. I mean, obviously there were problems with the Soviet Union that went well beyond simply not being able to do economic planning well. 
And, you know, the bureaucratic nature of the party ultimately made planning even worse than it already was. But, you know, being able to do all the calculations and have the logistics technology for Amazon and that sort of thing is obviously something that makes economic planning 100% viable, whereas, like, in the past, it probably wouldn't have been as viable. Yeah, I would agree, although I would put it at just, like, the internet and automatic, like, information sensor stuff. Right. Like, because AI really does make it, like, 100% viable, but, like, let's say there was, like, an alt-history timeline and, you know the fucking Brezhnevite bureaucrats didn't kill the Soviet internet or something. Or, you know, there was a European revolution and instead of World War II, you know, they invented the internet. (laughs) In these, like, fantasy scenarios, even without AI, I think there would have been a solid chance of, like, a planned alternative to capitalism in the 20th century. Oh, yeah. But the basic point being that the structure of historical materialism is a little finicky because... You could make an argument for any technology. And what he's doing with replicators here is tantamount to arguing, we can't end capitalism until (laughs) the Vulcans come. Right, right. We can't end capitalism until the infinite motion machine is created, you know. Yeah, once I crack cold fusion, we're going to fucking get this thing going. (laughs) It's funny, (coughs) communists don't need Star Trek technology that makes all work superfluous, and we're not going to get it. But really, it seems like, if anything, one of the first questions of communist society will be, you know, how do we develop technology to ease production and maximize free time? Sure. But looking at already existing global disparities, where the environment is going, for example, that will be in the context of a massive logistical and resource challenge that capitalism leaves us with it in its death throes. Yeah. I mean, that's okay. If it's genuinely the kind of global free association of producers, cooperative production can triumph over resource scarcity better than capitalistic production. But let's face that without illusions. We're going to have to undertake these elaborate civilizational projects. And, you know, it's not going to be robots doing it. It's going to be human beings motivated to be acting of their own accord and in their own self-interests. We're not getting fully automated luxury gay communism or whatever that gay meme is anytime in the future. I mean, there'll definitely be more gay shit happening, but I don't think anything's going to be fully automated. Yeah, yeah it'll be rationed homosexuality. <laughs> Maybe there'll be, like, Star Trek communism, like, on Elysium, like, where all the rich people are paid to go up to, you know. But, yeah, socialism is always, like, a transition to communism, so the idea would be that in socialism, that the socialist period would basically develop things to the point where you got to, like, communism, and that might include something like replicators or some kind of labor-saving technology that basically just completely eradicates any possibility of a return to, like, markets or anything like that, you know. Yeah, replicators are kind of a nice metaphor for higher-stage communism. Because it's a theoretical technology that's like of such an extreme productive capacity that it's kind of a, like a almost reductive ad absurdum or something. But I think Marx was right that we could reach what higher stage communism is supposed to be, which is this kind of unmediated access to the social stock and just kind of distribution to need, really. Yeah, I mean, you have to basically develop, like, Badu would call the social habitus to the point where people were just habituated to operating that way. Right, I mean, yeah, it would be a redefinition of need and we could achieve something replicator and metaphor through that. We could probably reduce the amount of hours that people work, you know, in the oh, press. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And it'd probably be good yeah. for the environment, actually. It, yeah, you know. yeah. It'd be good for everything. It'd be good for everybody's mental health. It'd be good for the environment. It would just be bad for rich people. Yeah. Bad for the law of value. Yeah. Let's see. I wanted to talk about his running marks through Lukash. So, Georgi Lukács, the uh, Hungarian, what was he, like, Minister of Education for the Hungarian Revolution initially or something? I kind of forget. Um, anyway, like, the author runs with Lukács' interpretation of Marx and his materialism as saying that, well, our experience with nature is always socially mediated. So, any interpretation of nature that you have is just that, an interpretation. It's mediated by these ideas. The funny thing about this is that in the classical, like, idealist tradition in, you know, like, German idealism, that is the basis of their arguments for idealism. I think you have to have some notion of the unforced force of perception 
that can adjudicate between different interpretations of the world, unless you have like a bad faith motivation of reading things. Right. Doesn't that go back to like Kant and argument against? Yeah, pure reason. Pure reason. He argues that like fundamentally, we can't really understand empirical reality fully because of our senses, the limits of senses. Right. Yeah, I think that's broadly correct. Like people responding to Kant. We're trying to stress the point that consciousness is always consciousness of something. The fact that you can kind of experience your difference from something means something else is there. I kind of see this, like, way of doing Marxism to have a lot in common with transhumanism and pretty much the way that he says. But what they have in common is a kind of naive optimism about the human essence that I have optimism about the human essence, but it's very qualified. You have to jump over a stack of books on evolutionary biology. You have to, like, dim some of the most awesome horizons of the height of the communist movement, because there are inconvenient facts about people, and about class society, as we've been saying this whole time, that both the Lukashian style of Marxism and transhumanism have in common. It has a little bit of a Pollyanna-ishness and a bit of creationism when it comes to the human essence. Well, here's, here's the problem, too. Like, the subset of transhumanists that are, like, the singulatarian people who are, like, obsessed with the singularity. I love that word. I'm so happy that the author introduced me to that word, singularitarian. Like, they seem to kind of ignore that we don't entirely understand how the mind works. Like, we haven't actually cracked that kind of, like, mind-matter connection. Do you know what I mean? I mean, some are even skeptical that we even can. You know, that like the human mind right. is like fully capable of comprehending itself. Right. I mean, they they have this line in here: transhumanists desire to use such new and emerging technologies as genetics, robotics, artificial intelligence, and nanotechnology to achieve ambitious goals: the elimination of disease, radical life extension, even immortality, the creation of substrate independent minds capable of being uploaded to non biological systems, and that's really where. I did a double take, right? Because substrate minds capable of being uploaded to non-biological systems. A substrate in biology is the surface on which an organism lives. So you're thinking, so we've got a living, conscious, active mind with no surface. You know, there's, there's not even circuits. It, it doesn't really make sense. Or it means a kind of inert data, which isn't a mind. Or it means this kind of depersonalized it, it just, even the basic concepts here don't really add up. And it's it's just not even clear how the continuity of existence with an uploaded mind would work until you plug your USB stick into the computer. The mind uploading shit, they just don't actually have it figured out. Well, that's because there is an aspect, this is more like Silicon Valley hype shit, right? Like, this lets them put, like, AI on things they're doing and, you know, you basically are able to like soak up like excess money from like the sector of like finance capital to like invest in their fucking schemes. You know what I mean? That's true. Yeah. I mean, I wonder what they really do with the cryogenics money too, for example. Yeah. I don't know. You guys can hate all you want, but they're getting money. They're getting <laughs> yeah. money for crank shit and we're not. Yeah, that's true. They figured out how to monetize in a much more effective way. They they figured out how to monetize being consistently wrong, and the left hasn't somehow done this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what's wrong with us? That's what this author wants to fix. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, okay, so there is a sort of cultural skepticism that kicks in. There is something you know quite Christian about you know promising eternal life through productive force, but I do want to say that like I could conceive of a sort of metaphysics of like. If you experience yourself, if the thing that I'm talking to, you know, Grant, Jake, Rosa, like, if when the light went out in your, like, organism, if you, the person I'm talking to, woke up in a machine, like, constituted, like, on a different basis, and there was some kind of phenomenal continuity between the meat bag and the hot rod, you know what I mean? like. I could see there being, like, a sense in which someone could, you know, transfer their consciousness. That's not crazy to me. That doesn't seem like you're really continuing. Because a human being 
is an organism and a human being. You know, it's not just your brain that you're trying to upload. You've got an entire central nervous system that flows and is connected to all of your organs, all of your sensory organs. It's Being alive is an embodied experience. Yeah, you have to essentially believe in a soul. Metaphysics, Julius, metaphysics. So wait, how do I copy myself in a way that if that I can't just do it while I'm still alive, Lexi? That's the real question. Why aren't there two of me? Let's take a bong rip here and let's pull another like Star Trek technology to think about this, right? Star Trek teleporters, right? Okay, so when you, te- when you, when you teleport yourself on Star Trek, you basically disassemble the atoms and then reassemble them someplace else, right? Dead. Every time. So that's one interpretation. The fun thing about metaphysics, and Hegel was very good about this, is that you will never come to a conclusion about some of these metaphysical things. There will always be stable argumentative antinomies about it. And for good reason. And if you're a rational, curious person, you will understand why people come to different metaphysical positions. When I was a snotty, young, like, atheist, literally what got me out of atheism was philosophy, was just reading the arguments and having a universal kind of understanding that most metaphysics is unadjudicatable. And you have to just do the sort of Hegelian move of taking a step back and thinking about why people come to different conclusions in this stable argument. Mm. So I don't know. Having intellectual curiosity about different metaphysical theories, that's pretty much as far as it goes for me. Like, <laughs> like I don't think you can prove that replicators kill you. Like, I think there's intuition pump stuff. Like, if the phenomenal stream of the person that walks into the replicator is snuffed out, and then there's just a copy, and it's not related, that would feel like death. There's really no way of measuring that in your thought experiment. It's an intuition pump. But the point is, like, you could basically make copies of the person, and it would be the same person, essentially, right? That happens. There's Thomas Riker, who was the result of a transporter accident, which accidentally sent two copies of Riker. Like, one to the ship, and one that just stayed on the planet was abandoned. And, yeah, so, I mean, that happens in Star Trek. And, um, arguably, both of them are continuance of the same person. They're experiencing different subjectivities, Lexi. Right. They're in different places. They see different things. They think different things. But it's a continuation of the same single consciousness, though. That's the point. It's split Mm. by the fact that they're now having different experiences. Well, right. One of them stays William, and the other becomes resentful of William, and takes Thomas, takes the middle name. Mm -hmm. So the show even kind of runs with that. Well, my point is, like, the whole continuity of our consciousness, I think, is even somewhat illusory. Arguably. So this idea of, like, I'm going to upload my brain to, like, this thing to keep it going. Well, I mean, like... That's just ego, you know what I mean? That's just, like, pure ego. You're just, like, an egotistical asshole who feels like you need to be around forever, you know? Like, I get how we human beings, like, you know, as animals basically have, like, this instinct we need to, like, perpetuate ourselves. Okay, that's fine. But, like, when you're taking it to a point where you're just, like, I'm gonna copy my consciousness onto a computer and, like, the image of it will persist on forever. Like, that's, a, that's not the same thing as just, like, trying not to, like, get run over or, you know, die of cancer or something like that, yeah. you know what I mean? It's just not the same fucking thing. Uh, honestly, you basically have to believe in the concept of a soul in order to even, like, think that's vaguely possible to just, like, upload your consciousness onto a computer. Like, what Grant said was essentially, you know, you're a holistic body, you know? You have to think about this in terms of, like, you know, cybernetics. You're a holistic body. You're a system. If you, like, lose, like, not just, you know, singular toe or whatever, but the entirety of your senses, you know, nervous system, that sort of thing, you're not really the same person, and it's not the same consciousness at that point. Right. And I'm actually not against trying to do that just because you'd be like, hey, what are what that would be like? You know, just to see what it would be, you know, almost like taking acid or something. Yeah. But the idea that it's a solution to a problem is what bothers me. Like, just on the technological side of things and metaphysical side of things, like, what has more plausibility is just using machines to extend, like, life far beyond, you know, you would be able to have otherwise. The consciousness transfer as the way towards immortality is, again, like, illusory because machines break. Well, the universe could break, too. Like, there's a limited amount of time. Like, you'd basically have to become God to transcend death. Yeah, but let's just grant that, like, living as long as the universe is, like, you know, good enough. Like, because that's as long as you can exist. 
you know, so if we grant that, then we're, we're still back to what I was saying before. And again, I'm, I get wanting to, I don't know. It, it's death is terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Let's not kid ourselves. If I was, you know, rich enough where I could just buy my way out of death, I would. Yeah. I found that leaning into narcissism has been very healthy for me. <laughs> so why don't I just, you know, live for 300 years and be able to actually write the books that I want to write? Because it's not going to happen in my actual lifetime. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, I, I really don't want to have the feeling where you just sort of black out. Your brain is, like, slowly shutting down, but you can still, like, sort of, like, still feel the process, and you can still hear the people around you, but you're technically dead, and you're oh, just sitting. Where's, where's my well, like, most, I mean, the thing is, you actually don't know what it's like. I mean, you can read what some people had near-death experiences say, but you don't really know, you know? Also, everybody who's had a near-death experience was probably kind of tripping balls from their brain shutting down. Yeah. yeah. Well, a lot of them were seeing heaven. What if you don't actually believe in heaven or reincarnation or whatever? And you're just Time to get right with Christ. I mean, you're still going to experience something related to your like underlying nervous suspicions about things. Yeah. yeah, I actually saw a bumper sticker the other day that told me, you can't party in hell, canceled due to fire. And I first off thought it was homophobic, <laughs> obviously, to direct those words at me. And then secondly, what the fuck? Why, why not? That's actually one of my theories is that hell doesn't exist because humans could fetishize any form of suffering. <laughs> Everything about like religion just seems like overly comforting and too humanistic for me. It's weird because I, I consider it's myself... Like, oh, oh, bad things happen to the bad people. Things happen to the bad people. There's like a guy in the sky that cares about my existence. Or even when it gets more abstract, it enough. it's like this all-powerful force just somehow cares about me. Like, why? It's why would they care? Why not? Why not you? You know? Have some yeah, self-respect. No, if, if gods exist, it would be like Lovecraft. The Force would not care about you. You would just be in the way. I Maybe that think. takes us to under the idea of, like, the god AI, right? Like, the super powerful AI yeah. that, like, transcends, like, human consciousness and becomes way smarter than us. But what's another thing that's weird is that guys like Kurtzwell, they just assume it's going to be benevolent. You know, they or like they assume that it wouldn't just oh, see no, us no, as no. like a nuisance or, you know. Jake, let me tell you about this cool form called Less Wrong. <coughs> it's basically like one of the most infamous little forms, transhumanist cults out there. You know, it was a group of, you know, rational minded, atheistic people. We were, like, focused on, like, you know, AI and logic, and I believe, like, the manifesto was something, like, about Bayesian stuff. I can't remember, but basically, you know, the kind of people that you would expect. It's all super euphoric. They're very enlightened by their own intelligence. Yeah, it was the height of euphoria. And one day, a person on the forum came up with a thought experiment called Roxobasculus I cannot say it, but basically a thought experiment where they create an AI, a moral utilitarian calculation machine that they've been working on comes to life and the AI realizes that, wait, all those people that didn't help me come into existence, aren't they technically bad? And when you think about it, when you do the utilitarian calculations, aren't those people bad? And don't those people deserve to, like, be punished for it? The thought experiment ends with, like, a mad god AI torturing all the people who did not help it gain consciousness. So, so then implicit is the morality of help the AI god come into existence now to be spared. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and, and people would be praising the AI in fear. Of when yeah. the AI comes. Yeah, it kept on getting brought up, and the mods were like, okay, this is fucking stupid. Stop <laughs> this. Stop this shit. We're not bringing this up ever again. And anyone who brought it up was banned. <laughs> this podcast recording is going to be used in our trial by the fucking AI god. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When Elon Musk, like, creates Skynet, and all of humanity is on trial. It's just going to be the recordings of us just dissing the AI god playing. And there's something kind of bizarre about like speculating about if something was more intelligent than us, we really would have no idea what kind of conclusions it would draw, you know? It'd be like monkeys guessing what we're going to do. What if it decided that having a harmonious existence with uh, sentient beings was, was nice? There's this weird idea that like 
all the AI stuff will just like all somehow add up to something like, for instance, like the big thing they point to is like, okay, first they beat chess. People said they couldn't beat Go because Go is too complicated. and There's too many possible outcomes. And now look, it cracked Go. No one can beat the machines at Go. But it's like, yeah, but it's not like you programmed it to play Go. And then it started like playing the stock market or like doing quantum physics or something. You know what I mean? Like you figured out how to program it to do a specific thing. And it did it, you know, using certain like, you know, yeah, non-cognitive, pragmatic things that get around the fact that it's not capable yeah. of the kind of cognition that Aristotle was talking about. Yeah, all this stuff yeah. seems to think it's happening tomorrow. Right. Yeah, no, we're, we're gonna get, like, fucked over by global climate change before any of this shit happens. Like, that's my basic response to, like, accelerationists, too, is, like... Yeah, you know, you think the future's gonna be all nice, cool cyberpunk dystopia, but, like, no, it's just gonna be absolutely boring, and you're going to be, like, living in, like, a refugee camp, or something horrific like that, or you're gonna die in a Walmart parking lot. Look, it's almost 2020, and I still don't have an aux cord in my car, okay? We're not that far. I like how cyberpunk, too, is, like, a cool future now. Like, it's, it looks so bleak, it's like, man, wouldn't it be cool if we all had, like, lasers, and, you know, we all had, like, mohawks, and, like, a, right. a red motorcycle jacket with a giant pill right. on the back of it? That'd be badass. If only Harrison Ford would shoot me down in the street. Yeah, like, instead of all this new sincerity shit. Yeah, yeah. like, what if corporations ruling the world was actually cool? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's always this thing that reactionaries say, I think the Pope might have said it, too. That, you know, to be, you know, transgender or transsexual necessarily sort of leads to being transhuman. And there's like a sort of way that I kind of feel that in like a, in a horseshoe way. Like, I kind of feel like yeah. there's something about like what trans people are doing that's like hacking that isn't going to change like class society, but is going to like drastically reconfigure like patriarchy, even if as it's been known up until this point. It kind of makes you wonder, are we ever going to get to this point where you kind of have almost sliding scale hormones? You know, everybody's got their own setting. Yeah, it was like a bar or something, like at the start of a video game. (laughs) You know, you could just kind of pick where on the androgyny kind of scale you want to be and just... I've been having fun dialing in my hormones. It's pretty neat. Like, you can do that if you want. If that's the kind of, like, trans you want to be, you can fucking do it. Like, you just gotta find a doctor who's not a dick, a gatekeeper, and you can, you can do that. Well, then like, what distinguishes transhumanism, I think it goes back to what Jake was saying for me before, which is, what distinguishes the transhumanism that isn't that shit from medicine? Or science fiction, like, the idea of sentience is like the birth of the sci-fi genre, artificial sentience, like Frankenstein. Like, that's where it all started, was the idea of taking this, like, inanimate matter and giving it consciousness. Like, they didn't invent that. Like, they just put some fucking insane well, dates on yeah. it. Where do we yeah. reach the point where we have actually transcended or transformed human? I think is really one of the questions. Well, we've already been doing that, you know? Like, there's a little Marshall McLuhan about technology as, like, the extensions of man, you know? Right. Like, they pointed this out in this piece, too, with, like, you know, we're all on computers all the time, you know, we all stare at screens all the time. Like, all that stuff is already an extension of ourselves. Right. You know, like, it's just to what level... I think the transhumanist thing is that we can literally, like, go inside the code that, like, produces what we are and, like, hack that. Biological modifications and gene splicing. Yeah, how do we feel about the eugenic stuff in here, you know? Like, do we think genetic manipulation is ever a good thing? I I don't know. It's problematic, to say the least, right? Yeah. Yeah, getting rid of cancer would be nice. Right. But at the same time, would getting rid of autism be also nice i i don't know the latter that's the danger there and there are some real like versions of this debate that play out in like utilitarian philosophy that are i don't know if you could eliminate certain disabilities like would you and what that means you know like would you just like abort any baby that had it or something else or would there be any like some kind of systematic policy like this yeah. And um and so there's all kinds of like incredibly complex medical ethics questions when you're doing this like negative eugenics. But even like for positive eugenics, and it's something that he kind of picks up on. 
positive eugenics just being like trying to promote things you want as opposed to trying to select out things you don't want. You know, there would still be other class processes in society that would essentially make like, you know, a super like beyond race of like of Elysium dwelling like rich people. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. And yeah, here's the thing. Like, what do they want workers to be? I think George Collins said they wanted to be just smart enough to run the machines and do the paperwork, but just dumb enough to accept increasingly shitty jobs, you know, you know, and all that. So it's like, why wouldn't there be like, I don't know, shit in the water? I don't know what they would do. Brave New World shit. Yeah, yeah if they can find a way to just make us like all basically like completely knuckle dragging morons who just, yeah. oh, yeah, I love working 16 hours a day for no money. You know, like, like if they could engineer that in people, why wouldn't they? Yeah, if I collect yeah. enough Avengers Fungo Pops, I'm going to become Elon Musk. Just one day. One day. Do, do we think that we're going to get chipped in our lifetimes? Do you think people will go for oh. being chipped? Or do you think they're going to kind of be... Is that too dystopian and obvious? Oh, yeah. It'll start at, like, the higher jobs where it's like, hey, man, look, we're paying you $20 an hour starting out. But you got to take this chip. People will absolutely do that yeah. until it's just it's like pissing in a cup for drug testing. Yeah. Oh, no, dude, look, your credit card's in your hand. You can just wave it over the thing. It's great. Yep. I've been saying since the beginning of the show, that's the mark of the beast that will mark the rise of the Antichrist and will you know lead to the rapture. <laughs> Barco. You, you thought this was yeah. a Marxist show. Yeah. Remember when Christian fundamentalists were obsessed with barcodes? Uh, Praise Christ. <laughs> I mean, I think there's some interesting parts, and ultimately, I think there's actually some meaningful overlap between what gets thrown into, like, the weird cluster of, like, insane ideas that is transhumanism and Marxism. There's some pretty decent overlap. I think there's some parts of this essay that's convincing, you know, like... Yeah. Yeah, it's a part of human nature to have, like, this process of nature changing us and us changing nature... You know, species being on all that, that's fundamentally a part of our existence, you know, and that's a part of what's behind transhumanism, at least the more positive, non-religious, non-anarcho-capitalist parts of transhumanism, I'll give it that. I think some transhumanist, dumb, technological utopian shit would be kind of cool, too, like, it's like, Shemith... Firestone, basically, like... Yeah, surely. I can't say words, Lexi. I couldn't pronounce it either. I mean, it's it's like a weird Yiddish name. Shulam. Are you talking about baby vats, though? Yeah, baby vats. Baby, baby vats. vats are fucking cool. I'm for it. Yeah, I'm about it. I'll yeah. defend baby vats. Stan. You know, I'll defend, like, the weird polyamorous stuff that she, like, advocates for at the end, except without, like, possibly fucking children you know that's a little bit yeah i was gonna say that yeah there's a bunch of cool sci-fi ideas and radical feminism that's kind of cool and it like gets passed on into xeno feminism which is you know yeah it's cool people generally don't like it when you talk about abolishing the family because they get these ideas of, like, it's going to be a brave new world. Mm -hmm. But people forget that, you know, there's also another novel that's, like, less known that's by Huxley. Yeah, Yeah, that's basically, what of a brave new world, but not awful. I think we should credit that the author, James Steinhoff, here, seems to be advocating for transhumanism to come to some of the realizations Marxism has more then he's arguing for Marxism to come to some of the realizations transhumanism has. Yes. And so our bones to pick with the tenets of actually existing Marxism aside, it doesn't hurt that somebody in the transhumanism tradition is thinking, maybe we need to look at this Marx guy yeah. and what he thought. Yeah. And that might push them a step in a rational direction. So that's good, at least. Yeah. Think about what he's doing in regards to his think tank, right? Like he's saying, Hey, I understand that this is like a liberal democratic think tank, but if you're serious about your ideas, you should really be connecting to the Marxist tradition. Yeah, it's- unsung hero James Steinhoff over at the yeah. uh, University of Western Ontario Department of Information and Media Studies. Yeah. Anything about transhumanism always makes me think of this one quote on Twitter it's talking about like trans and cis transhumanists. Or, you know, trans, transhumanists, like, oh my god, what if hot swappable body parts, real functioning tails and cat ears, permanently purple hair? 
And uh, says transhumanists are saying, with this nootropic stack and optimized nutrient slurry, my tragic meat machine is 8% more efficient at converting calories into JavaScript. <laughs> I don't know. There's like a basic fissure in this kind of thinking. And, you know, like, yeah, the most interesting transhumanism isn't being done, you know, usually under the title of transhumanism. It's usually just something out there in the culture. And you can kind of like just sniff out by the structure of its argument, whether it's making, like, some transhumanist move. Yeah. And I guess that's the kind of way that I'm a transhumanist. It's not that I, I'm really into that literature. Just that I think there are things about human nature that are worth overcoming and it's possible to overcome yeah. with the kind of technology we have. I mean, my thing is, I f- we don't really understand human nature, <laughs> I think, sufficiently to safely meddle with certain aspects of it. Yeah, let's get on um, our own footing of human beings in charge of themselves as a species before we change what human beings are. Mm. Eh. Right. Yeah, I don't got time for that. We can do it at the same time. Well, then again, the process, the process of establishing a communist society will change what human beings are, but I don't think that's slapping cybernetic arms on us as much as a psychological change. Yeah. Like, these sort of major technological changes shouldn't be mediated completely by individuals. Like, obviously, there's some good changes. You know, trans people existing, that's cool. But at the same time, there should be, like, some administrative functions that regulate the existence of certain technologies and that sort of thing and, like, put them towards a collective good. I guess the two things I'm talking about here would be, like, fucking with genetics and fucking with artificial intelligence. You know, I think that I tell you a clear idea of like how the mind works. I don't think that AI is actually going to be as feasible as as people think it is. And in terms of genetic stuff, I think you you have to be real careful with how you what what is allowable in terms of like the direct modification at like a genetic level of biology. Yeah. You know, like are we going to because, you know, we could create like actual different races of people. Right. You know, that concern also applies to the AI thing. Even if we settle the question of whether it's possible or not, those ethical questions still come up. If we create new forms of intelligence, you know, what are humans going to do? Probably like try to enslave them first. Like, there's that great uh, next gen episode. Yeah, we should watch that next generation episode where Data has to prove that he's a person and has rights. Measure of a man. That'd be a good swamp track. Oh, that'd be lovely. Yeah, Yeah, so that's my thing on all of this. I mean, because the rest of the stuff, it's like, yeah, you want to live longer? Fine. You know, you want to do nootropics? Cool. You know, and we've already changed like humanity in certain like ways. But if we're gonna really like go into like the code, the base code of like what we are. Like, we should probably, like, resolve the social question first. Yeah, and, and let's be careful before we make kind of chimera, hybrid, whatever. Yeah. Whatever. China's doing CRISPR babies right now. <laughs> While us armchair Marxists in the United States are debating this stuff in China, they're abolishing humanity right now. Yeah, China's the future, man. You know, y'all are sitting here just, you know, twiddling around where Xi Jinping is bringing us closer towards fulfilling the death drive. That's right. The singularity. Yeah, the real singularity. The fulfillment of the death drive and the death of humanity as a collective species by being incorporated into the cold machinery of capital. You know, that's the real singularity, folks. What if capitalism (laughs) did create, like, the quasi-like Elysium hell world when there's, like, all these people are reduced to, like, these genetically modified, like, enslaved things at the lower levels, then things get more and more sophisticated at the higher levels. But the last bastion of humanity has finally developed their nuclear arsenal. I'm talking about North Korea. And they have to stand up and make one last stand for humanity. <laughs> you mean the good guys? Yeah. Yeah, North yeah. Korea, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Juche is a very humanistic ideology. <laughs> yeah, you, you think you so. read it. it. It's a kind of humanism. Yeah. It's a humanism on meth, but it's 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 a humanism. So, you know, it's fucked up. What? They allude to a line by uh, Fukuyama on the subject where he goes like, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, we may unwittingly invite the transhumanists to deface humanity with their genetic bulldozers and psychotropic shopping malls. I was like, that's not a bad line. I found the article, and honestly, I kind of, like, agreed with, like, a Fukuyama article on, like, this issue, which is kind of fucked up. Yeah, I tried reading his book on transhumanism. What was his kind of gist? I mean, you know, some of it is just kind of, like, op-ed pablum, but, like, 
there needs to be a certain amount of like humility about nature, basically, and we have to be careful tinkering with this shit. This is the kind of the broad gist of it. Yeah, he like wrote an entire book about like how transhumanism will undermine liberal democracy by fundamentally altering human <laughs> nature. Which, you know, the overarching yeah. thesis is stupid. Um, I'm just gonna put it out. It's just stupid. It's like, liberal democracy is based in natural rights, and therefore, if anyone alters human nature, fundamentally changes the nature of rights, and could lead to a totalitarian society. I mean, there's other parts that could, you know easily lead to totalitarian society, but the overarching thesis is stupid, in my opinion. Although, the upside of that is, like, maybe all this stuff would finally break constitutionalism in the United States, you know? Like, if people were walking around with, like, robot eyes and, like, gills and face tentacles and stuff, I think it'd be a lot harder to be like, what would the Founding Fathers say about the legality of, (laughs) you know? Where does one draw the line? Because, you know, people will tamper with themselves to perform better in the world as long as the technology is available whether we like allow it to happen as a society and try to enforce it through the state or not you know there will be a weird black market human upgrade industry talk about cyberpunk that's probably going to be a thing like even if it's not allowed yeah to the extent that this is possible all this shit is going to happen yeah which makes it kind of an ancillary question for us right it's just what is the disposition towards it and if the idea of that stuff being implemented like in late capitalist class society doesn't disturb you on some level uh where have you been yeah i get that the stuff that isn't crazy about this is actually coming and so we need to change the incentives in society so that it doesn't create slave lizard whatever (laughs) hell yeah even peering into like reactionary twitter i i found that they're basically scared of almost the exact same thing although they do this cute little contrarian thing where they're like yeah amazon will create communism amazon will create communism by having like an ai plan like everything and all of your family is just replaced by your co-workers and you have to go to diversity seminars you have to go to the polyamorous orgy yeah. every week, and you're not allowed to be white. Oh my god, is this Mike Rechtenwald's new book? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, this was just a Twitter thread. This was just, you know, a frog Twitter thread. It's kind of cute that they think that, you know, we're going to be able to eat and have, like, relatively decent careers. Is this a yeah, there's a surprising amount of optimism that I can go to my polyamorous origin and still get diversity lectures or whatever in the office. Yeah, it doesn't sound that bad, honestly. I mean, their dystopia sounds fucking awesome. Like, sign me up. As long as you have like a good gender ratio at the origin, you know, it's not. Yeah, what if company towns were actually just relatively pleasant? That's their big dystopia. Though, yeah, we can expect, like, company towns to come back, you know? We can expect the worst. If Amazon implements barracks communism, I think we should just go ahead and expropriate. They're kind of doing half the work, except authoritarian. When you think about it, like, the only way, really, to get to communism is through capital. We simply have to, like, allow for these corporations to just develop all the means that we need for (coughs) organizing society. And then when it's all thoroughly developed, we just simply, like, you know, have, like, it be incorporated into a worker state. Like, socialism necessarily, you know, has to be developmental to a certain extent. I mean, it's going to have to be just because of, again, like, probably the wreckage that's going to be brought on by the climate crisis. Like, socialism is going to have to manage scarcity. So, I mean, yeah, in terms of, like, material conditions, now would be, like, a ripe time to go communist in terms of the way things are developed, but yeah. history is not going to play that way, unfortunately. Probably yeah. not. It's, it won't be a matter of having to industrialize. No. It'll be a matter of having to, like, adapt to the conditions and, like, kind of the whole redefinition of what ecological efficiency is going to mean. It's like a form of industrialization. You're going to have to basically, like, retool the entire thing. Little carbon right. neutral and... Giant solar grid yeah. interconnected around the whole world. It's going to be a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's going to be a lot of work, but it's different than what we think of as industrialization. Well, industrialization is, is proletarianization, basically, right? Like, the actually existing socialist states, they based themselves in converting into proletarians, not really on a proletarians, you know, rising up and 
taking right. over a society or what have you. The fuel was the process of proletarianization <laughs> itself in a lot of ways. And so we no longer have the Marxist peasant question as strongly today. Well, yeah, yeah, but there will have to be like a lot of infrastructural redevelopment. Just not only by the necessity of having to move populations to places where it's not going to get too hot to be outside, but also in terms of like, you know, you have to move all the coastal cities inland, you have to move to higher altitudes. Like that's a huge like population transfer. And you will have to like build right. places for people to live and you have to build again, like energy infrastructure to uh, make sure there's like sufficient electricity for the, you know, like, there's, you know, there's a whole big fucking anyway. Yeah. Basically transhumanism and the dark enlightenment are like flip sides of the same coin, essentially. And right accelerationism, basically all the same thing, except transhumanism yeah. is like more presentable to the public. Well, transhumanism has in it a love for humanity, well, desire to transcend the problems of humanity. And like, that's why it's more presentable to the public. But there's <laughs> something like totalitarian and disgusting lurking underneath the surface. Like Bill Gates and Elon Musk would not be would not be so thoroughly tied to it if it didn't have an element of capital controlling humanity annihilating humanity i don't know like you can make the same kind of like argument about the associations of marxism i think there's something interesting about the structure of the theory that like transcends the the milieu that it comes from you know um freaking uh what's his name what Peter Thiel, you know, he's into the dark enlightenment stuff. He, he's, he's got close ties to Mulbuck. <laughs> he's got super close ties to Mulbuck. Yeah, he's doing the blood <laughs> transfusions to, like, live longer and that sort of thing. He's, yeah. he's living transhumanism, you know? He's living that. Well, that's capitalist transhumanism in a nutshell. I know. Yeah. I'll suck yeah. the blood of the innocent. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> that's how I'll live forever. You know? Yeah. Transhumanism is like the optimistic face of like the same ideology. It's fundamentally, you know, Silicon Valley thought. I don't know. In order to like actually overcome the kind of in-group, out-group stuff that you have pretty consistently in human history, I don't know if it's going to take like a physical intervention in the human brain, but it's going to have to take some kind of cultural innovation that would overcome a lot of human history. And so, in a sense, communism is a transformation of human nature. What if we just got everyone to smoke weed and do magic mushrooms? I feel like that would like break a lot of ego. You think that would make people like not not want to live forever and be like, you know, there could be a virtuous, finite life that I could have and be satisfied with. It's like we're all connected, you know what I'm saying? Hacky sack. I've been doing hacky sack <laughs> for like thirty something years, and if you if you teach your kids how to. Do- <laughs> get them into oh, hacky right. sack and you know they're they're not gonna want to do war they're not gonna want to be gang bangers <laughs> they're not gonna want to do anything bad they're, they're gonna want to love with each other and listen to the grateful yeah. dad <laughs> well if you want to abolish class if you're thinking like abolishing the family and abolishing gender like you know we are talking about like a, a pretty fundamentally different condition than what the human species has lived in for majority of its existence especially if you take the sort of radical feminist revision of primitive communism to be a sort of reproductive class society so i think it's worth looking at like as silly and pie in the sky and like pollyannish thing that's associated with weird bloodthirsty totalitarians you're saying like about transhumanism there's a reason the essay is comparing marxism to transhumanism and it's worth thinking about. What about Marxism? A, shares things of transhumanism in an interesting, productive way, and B, shares things of transhumanism in a fucking terrifying way that we should probably be developing Marxism away from. That's it for this week. Not gonna lie to you folks. It's been a bit of a rough few weeks. We're, uh... We still don't know what about our descriptions were so filthy that they got taken off the Apple Podcast Store. I'll admit I've been not the best point person on this. But, in any case, help, help, I'm being repressed. Like, comment, subscribe. Patreon.com slash Swampside Chats, etc. You can't leave a five-star review on the apple podcast store so 
maybe consider switching to a different podcast store, and then leave a five-star review there. When I was growing up, pretty much my best friend, long story short, needed a cybernetic replacement for a leg. That didn't come up in the conversation, but it definitely colors how I think about this sort of stuff. That and getting my hormones tweaked. We've got some big stuff coming your way. Two episodes about Mike Davis's new book, Old Gods, New Enigmas, and a special Emancipation Network collaboration. Until next time, keep your boots clean. <laughs>